The following lecture was delivered at the 8th Annual National Jewish Retreat, a project of the Aurora Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy the lecture and encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. Rabbi Abba Perlmutter, founder and spiritual leader of Shul by the Shore in Long Beach, California, is a world-renowned speaker, historian, comedian, and teacher. Rabbi Abba is known for his quick humor and penetrating insight into a vast array of topics in Jewish life and thought. He will now present a lecture entitled, Inch by Inch is a Cinch. Okay, can everyone hear me? Good, because you know why? If you can hear me, it means you're alive. And if you're alive, means that you have one of the six basic needs. Psychologists and psychiatrists have worked for many, 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 many years and have come out that every person, every human being has six basic needs. I'm not going to go through all six of them because we discussed this last year. First one is certainty. We crave, we need certainty. When I get undressed at night and I put my pants in a certain place, I want to go to bed knowing that when I wake up in the morning, that's where my pants are. If I put my car key somewhere, I want to wake up in the morning and I crave the idea that I'm going to have the car keys right where I put them. I love stability in my job. I don't want to come every day and find out, oh, oh, we're cutting, we're cutting, we're cutting. I crave and I need stability in my life, certainty. But what happens, ladies and gentlemen, if there's too so much certainty? What happens if you... What happens? Boring. Boring. Life becomes boring. Everything you start to do, you know what's going to happen next. So what do we crave? What's need number two? Variety. We need variety in our lives. We crave, we beg, we plead for variety, but with a caveat. We only want variety when we decide. We don't like the variety like, I just got a letter from the IRS. Woohoo! I love that kind of variety, that surprise. No, no, no. We like variety when your boss comes in. Hey, you did a great job, sir. We're sending you on a two-week cruise, all expense paid, to Tahiti. Oh, I love that. Oh, by the way, you're fired. No, that's not what we want. But what I do want to talk about today is not certainty and not variety. It's the need for change. It's the need that every single organization, organism, business knows. If you're not growing, you're dying. You, no one stays the same. You ever see a, you ever talk to a CEO? Is there ever two quarters that are the same? Is there ever a yearly the same? Never. Companies know, and especially in today's environment and technology, that we change within a rapid blink. If you are not recreating yourself, literally recreating yourself every two to three years, you are finished. Finished. You could have had the best horse and buggy company. Your horses were Clydesdales, they were strong, they were powerful, they were beautiful. You kept them, you, you nourished them, you, you combed them. Your buggies were made out of the finest wood. And you were proud of your horse and buggy company. Came along Henry Ford and what did he do to you? He buried you. He absolutely buried you. Because you weren't smart enough, you weren't visionary enough to know that you need to change. You need to grow. And every single one of us, if we're alive and listening to me, knows that there's something in your life that you want to change. I want to be thinner. I want to be richer. I want to have hair. I want a relationship. I want to get rid of a relationship. I want to be more religious. I want to learn how to read Hebrew. I want to get more connected to my congregation. A number of needs that every single one of us has. If you don't have it, you're gone. Because the old expression is, you either start living or start dying. And there are many people that are dead. The walking dead. So, if we have these needs, and I want to be richer, I want to be smarter, I want to be taller, I want to be thinner. I come from a state, California, that there's only three things that matter to us. Wealth, you're never too rich, you're never too young, and you're never too thin. Right? If you could slide under the door now, you're still too fat in California. So we all strive for something. Hopefully it's a little bit more depth than, than that. So I ask you ladies and, and gentlemen, the $64,000 question, so why aren't you successful? If you want to get 
more involved in your congregation. You want to learn how to read Hebrew. You want to be richer. You want to be thinner. You want to be smarter. So why aren't you? I don't know. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I mean, I have to continue. I'm sorry. Okay. I only do it because JLI demands that you stand here for four Okay. There's a number of reasons. Reason number one is, well, lazy. Why? Why do I have to get up? Got to learn Hebrew. Boring. Right? Boring. Comments on the phone. Boring. I want to get thinner, it's hard. I want to get richer, it's hard. So I'm lazy. Number two, I'm just apathetic. Does anything excite you? No, Rabbi. Nothing. How about if I take you out to a movie and dine you and wine you and dine you and... No, just apathetic. It's not worth it. No matter what I'm going to do, it's not worth it. I'm going to diet for two weeks, three weeks, and then I'm going to binge out here. Look what these people do to you. They kill you. Kill you here. It's not worth it. I'm too busy. You, you, you see my schedule? I am, every minute is jam-packed. I have no time for anything. And you expect me to come to shul on Friday night? You expect me to come to shul on Shabbos? And then, you know what's happening now this next month? I hate to break the news to you, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to be spending more time with your rabbi than with your wife. Okay? We've got three days Rosh Hashanah, three days Sukkot, three days Simchas Torah, Yom Kippur, and then Chabad throws in a few extra days. Vav Tishrei, Yudgen Mot Tishrei, this and Afar bring in here, Afar bring in there. You're going to be spending so much time in shul, you might as well move in there. Don't pay rent for your condo next month. Move into the Chabad house. Tell the rabbi you're just sleeping there for a month. It's going to be okay. Don't worry. Too busy. I'm afraid of failure. See, this is one we really need to talk about. Why are we afraid of failure? Because our parents, if they're Jewish... Is everybody here Jewish in the room, by the way? No Gentiles? Very different than my regular congregation. I usually have, I usually have two Jews and 98 Gentiles, so... It's a pleasure talking to Hamish people. I mean, you know, there. Okay. Anyways, so if you're Jewish, you put a lot of pressure on your kids. Every Jewish mother that came to these shores from 1880 to 1920, over two million Jews came through Ellis Island. Every Jewish mother wanted one thing from her son. M.D. Please, please, that's all that mattered. Please be a doctor. Doesn't matter if you are the head of a president. It doesn't matter if you're the head of IBM. It doesn't matter if you're a professor, if you're a lawyer, if you're an accountant, you're a truck driver, you're a teacher. If you're not a doctor. Mrs. Teitelbaum, you know Mrs. Teitelbaum? Teitelbaum was elected president. We were right here in D.C. The first Jewish president was elected. He calls up his mother. He says, Ma, you're coming to inauguration. She says, I'll tell you honestly, darling. I'm in Florida. January in Washington is very cold. He said, I'll send Air Force One to get you. Okay, sends Air Force One, she comes. That night there's a big ball, big party. So he puts her on the table with the Senate leadership. He walks into the room, President Finkelstein. He waves to his mother, so one of the senators, probably from down south, didn't know the connection, so he leans over to her and says, Ma'am, are you familiar with the president? She says, yes, he happens to be the brother of my son, the doctor. So we put tremendous pressure. And you think it stops with our parents to us? What do we do to our children? Do you know why I look like this? This gray hair is from my children. Okay? I'm only 26 and I'm all white. So Lunas, this gray hair makes me look at least 28, 29. I'm telling you. So that's failure. But the reason that we're here today is not to talk about our, our sense, our worry about failure. It's not because we're worried about we're too busy or we're apathetic. It's about impatience. We wanted and we want it when? When? Uh, a, a typical Jewish crowd. Yesterday, now, tomorrow. When do we want it? We want it? I got a better reception at the graveyard this morning. When do we want it? Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. We want it. You remember when you were little children? You wanted that candy? When did you want that candy? Tomorrow? After lunch? No, I want it now. And they're the best salesmen. 
If anybody here is running a company, get five and six-year-old and four-year-olds to be your, your, your sales force. They get what they want. They don't take no for an answer like your salesmen do. They, they'll sit there and they'll roll on the floor and they'll cry and command of it until they get that candy. So we grow up in a country that wants instant gratification. We wait for no time, for nothing. We want it and we want it now. Our food, do we wait for something to be prepared? No, I want to drive through, grab the whatever, drive out, whatever, eat it, and done. So we want fast food, we want fast internet. Anybody here still has, still has DSL? Oh, come on, come on. It's going to take 35 seconds. Instant. We want instant, instant, instant. We've come up with a DSP dating. We take 50 singles in a room, put them across each other. You have three minutes to get to know the other person. Speed dating leads to speed divorces. So we have speed divorces now in America. You come in when you're not happy, bingo, see you later. Take this pill, ladies and gentlemen, and in two days you're going to go from 310 pounds. They won't recognize you to 120 pounds, that is. All right? Here, just take this pill. Take this pill. Quick weight loss. Quick, quick, quick. I blame it on Sesame Street. That's right. Sesame Street. That's the culprit. We've raised our children on Sesame Street. You know what Sesame Street? It's not nice, Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers' neighborhood was calm, slow, had all the time in the world. He put on a sweater, his sneakers. He had a fantasy. No, no, not Sesame Street. Rapid. You learn numbers. These wild animals that scare you. Cookie monster, big bird, all these people. So our kids grew up on Sesame Street. And if you think I'm being facetious, Read, read on Google. There were psychologists that claimed that Sesame Street was the actual culprit of bringing down our attention span. We have lost actually four seconds off our attention span in 13 years. In the year 2000, we had a 12-second attention span, Americans. 2013, an eight-second attention span, which logically leads us to believe that in the year 2021, we are actually going to have the attention span of a fly on acid. <laughs> have you ever seen a fly on dropping acid? No? It's incredible. You should try it. First of all, buy some acid. You don't know where to buy acid? Call your local Chabad rabbi. <laughs> He'll tell you where to get it. All right? Then catch a fly and just drop some acid and you're going to see what that fly does. That's going to be our attention span. Do you know, as a sad fact, uh-oh, this must be my Chabad rabbi, no. 88% of all Americans will break their New Year's resolution in how long? Anybody want to give a gander? One day, it's a little longer. Less than two weeks. In less than two weeks, 88% of all Americans will break their New Year's resolution. So the four and a half billion dollars that we are going to spend on gym memberships, on workout equipment, are eventually going to turn into closets by January the 16th. Oh, that beautiful treadmill I bought. Let me take off my jacket, hang it here. My pants can hang it here. You know, the shirt right over there. And, and that's going to be it. 88%. Why? Because we want it now. Right, right now. I need to tell you about my friend Jack Schwartz. Jack Schwartz suffered from, maybe some of you also. What page are we on in the synagogue blues? He had the blues. What happened? He used to come every Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. The machzor is this thick. Why? Because they do not. American Jews never show up to shul. Except for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. So Rabbi decided to put in every single prayer known to mankind into those books. I begged my congregation, please, if you came every Saturday, I'd cut the pages down. I'm willing to rip out 10 pages for every Shabbos you come. Doesn't work. So it's this thick. Okay, so we get through a Yom Kippur service, stand, sit, stand, sit, up, down. Poor old Jack, every time we stood, he sat. Every time we stood, he stood. He was going crazy. So this year he decided, no, 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 no. No more, baby. I'm going to learn how to read Hebrew, and I'm going to be one of the guys that knows. Stand, stand, sit, sit, stand. So he calls me up. He says, Rabbi, this year I decided I need to learn Hebrew. I say, Jack, wow, 
you're just in time because I'm offering a five-step easy classes to read Hebrew. Five easy steps to reading Hebrew. Jack says, I'm signing up. Jack Schwartz was very serious about this. He came to all of my five classes. He was there the first one and stayed late. Every one of those classes he came to. And after five weeks, you know what, ladies and gentlemen? Jack Schwartz couldn't read a lick of Hebrew. Not one drop of Hebrew. And you know why he couldn't read a drop of Hebrew? Because he forgot to read the fine print. It said five easy classes plus 1,000 hours of practice. Okay? But Jack didn't read that. Jack didn't read that. Jack came to my office and said, Rabbi, what's going on? I came to your classes, you promised five easy steps, and I can't read a lick of Hebrew, I'm still going to be suffering from the blues. So I said, Jack, I'm sorry. There's two things that you can do. Number one, you could commit to doing the thousand hours, and by next Yom Kippur, you'll be the chazan. Okay? That's step number one. Step number two is you can pray for a miracle. Now who says miracles can happen? You could pray for a miracle. That I could be sitting there the night before Yom Kippur and say, Dear God, please put into my head everything that I need to know about tomorrow's service. And bingo! It may happen. We believe in miracles. Right? We're, we're Jews. We believe we, we, our whole existence is a miracle that we're still around. So we believe in miracles. But miracles don't change people. They're wonderful to experience. It's a wonderful story that you can tell your grandchildren. But I'm sorry to tell you that change will not come through miracles. Change comes only when you realize that it takes time. If you're an angry person, an anxious person that worries about what people say about you, you wake up angry, you wake up anxious, you wake up and you want to become Mr. Calm or Miss Calm, it takes time. It takes effort, it takes exercise. The Rambam, don't take it from me, I'm a nobody, but the Rambam was a somebody. It says on his and this burial place from Moses to Moses that was none like Moses, used this, not this very words, because this is in English, he called this the inevitability of gradualness. The inevitability of gradualness. Slow change must distinguish any lasting transformation in human character. <laughs> I know you're all crying because you want instantaneous. This is America, baby. The Rambam lived in Egypt. No wonder. Of course, in Egypt, you know, the Oriental countries, and the Middle East, everything takes time. You know, but in America, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, time and persistence. In the year 2002, Verizon, the joint communications company, telecommunications company, came out with an advertising campaign. And their slogan was, make progress every day. Make progress every day. The idea that Verizon wanted to impart was that if they can help their customers in a small way every day, you know, teleconferencing, web design, internet, whatever it's going to be, every day a little bit, you don't need to transform your company overnight. Small little steps, small little steps will help you keep your customers and keep your resolutions. And I'm going to prove it to you from the Torah, two instances. Instance number one, if you went to Hebrew school even for four and a half minutes in your life, you never had any other Jewish education, you all heard the story of the Exodus. Am I correct? Is there anybody here who did not hear the story about the Exodus? Good. The Jews are stuck in Egypt. Comes along Moses with a stick, does the ten plagues on Pharaoh, Pharaoh pushes them out, they get to the Red Sea. They come to the Red Sea, they start complaining, Moses again comes, liberates them, they walk through the Red Sea, they're on their way to Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, they experience something no one else in the history of mankind is going to experience. Hashem himself is going to reveal himself to them, and he's going to speak to them directly. He tells them two things. That's all. The other eight commandments are spoken through Moses. Two first commandments, Moses says to the people, God says to the people directly. Number one is, I am God. I am God. Remember that. And number two is, I don't like any competition. I'm not living in America where you don't have, they don't allow monopolies. I want a monopoly on your worship. Is that hard to do? They've experienced ten plagues. They've experienced the splitting of the Red Sea. They experienced God's revelation to them. 
they are now standing way up there, way high. What happens 40 days later? Anybody know? They build the golden calf 40 days later. Why? The inevitability of gradualness. You don't change after one day, two days, or 40 days. It takes a very, very, very long time to drive character out and bring in new character. This is Maimonides. Example number two. A little bit more obscure, but still from the Torah. There's a great prophet called Elijah. Elijah, Leo, and Navi lived in a time, very, very difficult time. He was not a very beloved guy. Became with a very, uh, uh, very difficult message. You have to be loyal to one and only one. And that's Hashem. Everybody likes to, uh, likes to have idols. Because if this idol doesn't work, you get this idol. If this idol finally decides he's going to take matters in his own hand. What's he going to do? He is going to organize the first pay-per-view performance in the history of the world. He challenges the Nevi'i Abal to a match. He calls 400 of them, 450 of the false prophets. He says, you bring your A-game, I'm going to bring my A-game. We'll get the Jewish people to be the, 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 part- you know, the, the, the spectators. And we're going to see. It's either me or them. That's it. And he throws down the gauntlet. What does he do? He says, you guys go first. Come on. You go and build your altar. They build their altar. They dance. They sing. They pray. They do everything. Incantations. What happens? Nada. Gurnished. FS. Nothing. Okay? What does he start to do? I don't know if you're into boxing, but there used to be a boxer by the name of Muhammad Ali. He's still alive, but he used to be one of the greatest boxers. You know what he used to do? At his prime, he used to taunt his opponent. Literally taunt him. What, what taunting does is psychologically wears you down. What does Elijah do? He starts taunting them. Maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe your God went away. Maybe your God doesn't hear you. Maybe he went shopping to the mall. Maybe he does this. Sing a little louder. Yeah, he's taunting them. They finally give up. They say, we're done. It's your turn. What happens? Elijah builds the altar. Puts the sacrifice on the altar. He says, listen, I've set this up for you. This is it. I've set the stage. It's all yours. Bingo. All of a sudden, a fire comes down from heaven, eats up the thing, and the Jews are astounded. Astounded. They can't, Hashem, hu, ho, elikim, they begin to scream, God is the real God, Hashem, we are loyal to you. Great, huh? He did it. Finally, showed everybody without a question of a doubt that only true God is Hashem. Nobody else. That's chapter 18, Kings 1. What happens in chapter 19? Anybody know? He's gone. He hides and runs away. He's a renegade. Okay? He's a renegade. What happened? Two, two sentences ago, he is the most popular guy. His numbers are way up. His approval rating is through the roof. Any politician would love to have his numbers. Not like an Israeli prime minister, whose approval rating is usually between 2 and 3%. You know, Olmert had a rating of like one and a half percent. That means even his mother didn't like him as a prime minister. You know, (laughs) Elijah, on the other hand, Elijah is up there way in the 90s. You're never going to make all Jews happy, no matter what you do. Miracle, shmiracle, you know, doesn't matter. Elijah, three sentences afterwards, is running away and hiding in a cave. Why, ladies and gentlemen? Because miracles don't change people. They're exciting, they're great to watch, they're fun if you're on the right side of the miracle, not so fun if you're on the Egyptian side, but it's good fun if you're on the Jewish side, but they don't change you. Torah tells us that every single day has its own mission. People forget the connection between big goals and small steps. You want things to happen, it's totally up to you. Totally up to you. But Here's where I have to tell you something, because I'm a good friend of yours. If you leave your comfort zone, and you listen to Rabbi Perlmutter, and you decide to get more involved in your Chabad house, with your Chabad rabbi, or any rabbi, or anything in religion, it may cause some uncomfortable situations. Just like those medications that we find advertised on television, you're depressed, we have a pill for you. Take this pill, you'll feel happy, and then very quickly, 
The reader goes, but this medication may cause blood, frogs, lice, wild beasts, bloating, hair loss, double vision, liking your mother-in-law, etc., etc., etc. I'll be honest with you, after listening to that, I'll stay depressed. I'm staying depressed. I'm not taking the pills. Trust me. Trust me. All right? So I'm telling you right now that this, if you, if you follow my, my advice, and you decide today, after leaving these doors, that yes, Rabbi Perlmutter is right, we need to grow, we need to change, I want to do it, and I'm finally going to make that commitment to do it, it may cause some uncomfortable situations. Like my other friend, what's his name? I oh, know, Jack Schwartzman was my first friend. My other friend is whatever his name is, I don't want to mention him, he may be embarrassed. Of course, he's only in my mind, but even there he may be embarrassed. Okay? So you finally decided, ladies and gentlemen, here I go. I'm making a commitment. I'm inspired by my rabbi. And I decided that this year I'm taking off the two days of Shavuos. What? So you walk into your boss and say, boss, I have an announcement to make. I am this year. I'm planning to take two days of Shavuos off. So if he's a Gentile, Baruch Hashem, you're in good luck. He doesn't want to start with the ADL, the ACLU, the Jewish lobby, the Israeli bonds. He doesn't want to get involved. He says, Jack, have a good day. Take the two days off. Unfortunately, if you, live, if you work for a Jew, you're in Saras. Why? Because this is his reaction. Hi, boss. I'd like to take the two days off Shruis. Off what? Shruis. Who? Shruis. You made up that holiday. There's no holiday, Shavuos. I'm a Jew. I know. There's Yom Kippur. There's uh, uh, the one near the end of the year, Hanukkah. That's right. And the Seder. That's the only three Jewish holidays that are really... There's no such thing as... What did you call it? Shavuos. Wait, 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 wait right there. Picks up the phone. He calls his partner another Jew. Hello, Harry. Jack's in my office and he wants to take off... Uh, what did you say the holiday was? Shavuos. He wants to take off Shavuos. You ever hear of it? No, I thought he's making it up. Thank you. Okay. Your boss then calls his rabbi, who also didn't hear of Shavuos. So now you're in trouble. There's no such thing as Shavuos. So you finally convince him how? Because you walk across the desk, not to choke him, because that could lead to other things, not to harass him, but you pull up that little company that's called Goo... What? Google, that's right. Google. You pull up Google and you show them Shavuos. Zoop. In one eighth of a second, four million sites pop up. You push Shavuos. It tells you about the giving of the Torah and this and that and blah, blah, etc., 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 etc. And only then will your boss then be forced, not happily, to give you the two days off. All the while you are sitting there and you're sweating it and you're and you're brushing your brow and you don't know what to do. You decide to put on a keeper. Mm-hmm. So here you are. You happen to be the lead cardiologist in a very, very prestigious hospital in Los Angeles. Everybody respects you. But they know you as a secular Jew. And then all of a sudden, one day, you walk in with this on top of your head. And you feel like the eyes of the world are on you. In reality, no one cares. Do you know why no one cares? We've got our own problems. Who cares? The only one that cares is you. It's happened to me because I had a good friend that when saying did, did it, he, was, he had very, very, very torn feelings about this. He put on a kippah. The first one to greet him was the Catholic priest at the hospital. And he says, congratulations, Mazel Tov, we all waited for this day, for you to put on a yarmulke. It was unbelievable. He felt like a million dollars, but till he got to that, he felt extremely, extremely uncomfortable. So I know that you're afraid, you have to get out of your comfort zone, and you know, you're, gonna, you're worried, and you're praying, oh, what am I going to do? You know what, I'm going to lose my friends, I'm not going to be able to do all of this. So just remember one thing. I want you to think about this animal called a turtle. What's, 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 what's the properties of a turtle? A turtle has a shell. It lives comfortably in a shell. It doesn't care if it's hot, if it's cold, if it rains, if it snows. He's always in a shell. The only time a turtle can make progress is when it sticks his head out. And if you want to make that progress and you want to grow, 
and you want to do the things that you want to do, that you think are right, that your values and principles push you to do, it's going to take some courage as well. We're in America. In America, we come up with something that's called the bottom line. Okay, Rabbi, you know what? You talk, you talk, you talk. How do I do it? Give me a program. I don't want to hear about ideas. I want to have a 12-step program on how to grow and change. I want to walk out of this JLI with something concrete. So I'm a good guy. I love you all. I feel that you are my friends. I'm going to cut off nine steps. I'm going to give you a three-step program for growth. And if you follow this program, you are going to be the happiest person alive. You're going to be smiling and thanking me and sending me checks. You will not know what to do for me. You will invite me to your house and introduce me to your neighbors. You will parade me the way Mordechai was paraded by Haman. You will take me around and you will say that I am the greatest. But you'll have to follow these three steps. If you don't, no money back guarantees. Don't call up JLI and say, I want a refund. That they don't do. So here are a three-step plan to grow and to change. Step number one is based upon an innovation that the Lubavitcher Rebbe instituted. Several years ago, several decades ago, Rebbe instituted a 12 Pesukim program. What were the 12 Pesukim? These are 12 verses from the Torah that he chose, four from the written tradition, four from the oral tradition, some from Hasidus and Kabbalah. And he urged that every child should learn these 12 verses by heart. And every day, when they get up in the morning, these children should recite the verses every single day. What did he hope to accomplish? So number one, that the children should be well-versed at least in 12 verses of the Torah. And number two, he knew by extension, that if the parents and the teachers and the counselors and the friends teach it to them, the friends and counselors and parents and rabbis will also learn the 12 verses. And by saying those 12 verses every single day, what's going to happen? the children will eventually start believing them. Because what happens when you have an affirmation every day? What happens when you say something every single day and you mean it? Slowly but surely it becomes part and parcel of who you are. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one is a revolutionary statement. It tells us that there is nothing else but Him. And that we as a Jewish people have chosen him free, willing to be our God and exclusively our God. It has become the motto, the cry of the Jewish people. We say it in the morning, we say it at night, we say it before Yom Kippur, we say it when we're ill, we say it unfortunately when we're about to go. We say it, we say it, we say it, we affirm with the greatest belief in our hearts, Shema Yisrael. And that's one of the Pesukim. A second pasuk is the Rebbe instituted was Kikarav Lecha Hadover Maod. A pasuk from Devarim at the end of Deuteronomy, Moshe Rabbeinu says to the Jewish people, my friends, I am leaving you, but I am leaving you with a gift. Please, don't discard it. And if you think it's difficult, it's not. It's not over the sea and it's not in heaven and it's not far. It's right here. The matter is very, very, very near to us to be able to achieve this. And the Rebbe pushed that and pushed it and the children screamed. Every single day the matter is close. It's not difficult. It's not difficult. And you know what happens all of a sudden? You start to believe it's not difficult. It's not difficult. I say it every day. I affirm every single day. And the third verse... Is taken from the Talmud. And it tells us that if someone comes to you and says, If someone comes to you and says that I have striven, I have worked hard, but I have not yet accomplished, the Talmud says, I'll time and don't believe this person. On the flip side, if someone comes to you and says, I didn't work hard, but I was successful, I'll time and don't believe him, ladies and gentlemen. What happens if someone says, your guide to you, Matsasi, I have striven, I have worked hard, and Matsasi, I have accomplished? The Talmud says, Time in. Believe him. 
Imagine this, you're a 10, 11, 12-year-old child, and every single day you get up with the idea that, you know what, in order to achieve, in order to have that matzasa, in order to be able to say, I have accomplished something, I have done something, what do you need? The agiyah. You need the agaiti. You need that first affirmation that I can do it. So step number one, ladies and gentlemen, is to take whatever your issue is that you want to do, and you write it down on a piece of paper. And every single day you affirm that this is who you are. And if you want to learn how to read Hebrew, don't write down, I want to learn how to read Hebrew. This is not a wish list. Then I want to learn how to read Hebrew. I'd like to have a motorcycle. And I'd like you to get rid of my bad neighbor. And if you can get rid of my rabbi, that's a bonus. You know, and all of that stuff. No, this is not a wish list. This is an affirmation. I am a Hebrew reader. You want to be richer? Write down, I am rich. Not I want to be richer. We all want to be richer. Right? Who doesn't want to be richer? You want to be thinner? We all want to be thinner. You want to be taller? At least I want to be taller. Alright? Everybody wants to be taller. Don't write down, I want to. Write and affirm every day what you are. I am a calm person. I am an understanding person. I am a non-judgmental person. I am a chassid. I am a religious person. I am a nice person. These things are affirmations that we say every single day. And guess what? Slowly but surely you start believing it. Slowly but surely these things drip into your head. I'm not making this up, ladies and gentlemen. I wish this was my own ideas. But this has been proven over and over and over again that affirmations, important affirmations come every single day. Not once a month, not twice a month, not, not three times a month. But every single day, you decide that this is what you want to be. You will value the positive effect. You will say, it's important for me to be calm. It's important for me to be nice. It's important for me to go to shul. It's important for me to light Shabbos candles. You'll value the effect, and you will believe that you could make the progress. You will believe it slowly but surely. This is going to happen. Affirm. And affirm often. Step numero uno. That's in our language, number one in California. Number two. You need to have daily learning activities. You want to learn about the benefits of being calm? The benefits of laughter? Do you know what laughter does for us? You know what laughing does for us? I want to tell you a sad I'm going to talk about this on Sundays. I'm not going to give you the whole spiel. But just to give you a very, very daunting statistic. You know how many times we laugh as children? On a daily basis. Mm. Between 300 and 400 times. You know how many times adults laugh? Between 8 and 15. And that's the mean. That means there's people here in this room that laugh twice a day, once a day, once a month. Do you know what laughter does for you? Come Sunday and you'll find out. That's what laughter does for you. All right? But if you want to be a calm person, you want to be a happy person, you want to be a more religious person, a more traditional person, a more observant person, you need to find out. Go online. There's no excuses today. Ignorance is not bliss. Knowledge is power. You want to stop smoking? You've tried for years to stop smoking? Go online and read about the effects of smoking. What it does to you. What it does to your family. What secondhand smoke does. Learn about these things. Educate yourself. Find out the benefits of doing exercise. Find out the benefits of eating a proper diet. Find out the benefits of lighting Shabbos candles and coming to shul and putting on tefillin and getting more involved. Learn. We all have minds and we are called the people of the book. And yet, I could guarantee you and I will put down a credit card. Okay, Chabad Rabbi's credit card doesn't go that far, but at least it's a credit card. Okay? That if you walk down the center of a plane, you walk down the center aisle of a plane today, and you see someone reading the Bible, 99.999% that person is going to be a Christian. And if you see him reading the Wall Street Journal, say Shalom Aleichem to him. Okay? Say Shalom Aleichem. Why? What happened to us? We were once uneducated people. We were once people that learned. We were once people that prided ourselves on knowledge, on knowing, on pushing knowledge. And what happened to the American Jewish community? 
we fell apart. We said, you know what, the shul will educate our kids, the rabbi will educate our kids. There's this little Jack Schwartz, before he became a member, came home one day. And his dad said, so Jackie, what did you learn today in, uh, in Hebrew school? So he said, dad, oh, you won't. today we learned the Jews were in Egypt. Terrible state. Oh, they were in a terrible state. Came a very, very important person by the name of Moses. And Moses decided he's going to get the Jews out of Egypt. So what did he do, Jack? So the first thing he was, he called in the 101st Airborne Division. Okay? Then he called a strategic strike with Apache helicopters. Then he called in two huge aircraft carriers. And they carpet-bombed Egypt. Then he sent in the Marines. And finally, to take out Pharaoh, he called in and said, It was worth it. It was worth it. Every breaking of the tooth, every trip to the dentist, every time I went there and I struggled, and I said to myself, ah, this is, who needs this? It was worth it. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen? I believe in you. And God believes in you. Victor Frankl. If anybody's read his books, no, his story. Victor Frankl was a psychiatrist that survived Auschwitz wrote one of the famous books, Man's Search for Meaning, Logotherapy. At 74 years old, Viktor Frankl decided to become a pilot. To learn how to fly. He decided he's going to learn how to fly. Take flying lessons. And he learned something very, very, very interesting. This is what he taught. You can have to use your imagination. Okay? I thought I had a blackboard here, but I guess they must have stolen it. Okay? If you start at point A, and you want to get to point B, and there's crosswinds coming down, where do you set your target for? North of your destination. Why do you set your target north of your destination? Because you know that the, that the, the winds are going to bring you down. So if you want to reach point B where you initially want to land, point A has to be north. Because if you shoot for point B, you're going to end up at point C, south of your destination. This is called crabbing. Crabbing. It's a new term. I didn't know about crabbing. First of all, I'm not a fisherman. So it's a, it's a fishing term called crabbing, but he used it in the term of flying. Always set your, height, your eyes and sights higher than what you want to achieve. He said something. That if this is true for flying, how much more is this true for human beings? That if you want someone to reach point A, set your sights on point B north. Believe in them that they could be more than they can be. Believe in a human being that they can exceed your wildest expectations. Set your sights and your goals high. High. Don't go, oh, you know, I, wanna, I just want to learn an aleph. I want to learn how to read. Because if you set your sights high, you will end up where you can end up. But if you look at a human being the way they are right now, and that's all you expect of them is you're comfortable right now, what's going to happen is, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to meet at point C south of where we intended to do. Ladies and gentlemen, what is life? It's an adventure. It's a journey. Too many times we think about the idea that we want to set goals and we want to reach those goals. And if we don't reach those goals, we're going to be disappointed. And if we're going to be disappointed, we're failures. And if we're failures, we're going to feel sad. And if we feel sad, we're going to feel mad. And if we're mad, we take it out on our families. We take it out on our families. We'll be, your wife will leave you and your wife will leave you. You'll be lonely. And you'll live alone in an apartment with a cat. And eventually no one's going to call on you. And you're going to be just nobody. And, and, and then you're going to have any friends. So ladies and gentlemen, listen. Life is not a destination. When we are kids, what happens? We pray, we want that tricycle. And if I could get that tricycle, please, daddy, please buy me that tricycle. I'll be the happiest kid. I'll never ask you for anything else. I promise, 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 promise. And then you get the tricycle. And guess what? Someone from down the street rides by you in a bicycle. Hey! 
Hey, guy's got a bicycle. Guy's got, guy's, guy's got two wheels on. No, 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 no. Come on, daddy, daddy, please. I need a bicycle. Please, please. Can I have a bicycle? So he buys you the bicycle. Tell what happens. Someone drives down your path with a car. So now you need a car. Oh, daddy, daddy, if only you got me the car, I'd be the happiest girl in the whole world. I'd never, never, ever want anything else. Please, daddy, can I have a car? Of course, he buys you a car, but he doesn't buy you a fancy car. He buys you a Honda. And you're driving down and someone drives by with a motorcycle and you want the motorcycle. Then the motorcycle's not good because someone drives down to you with a Ferrari. I don't know why people buy Ferrari in California because the average speed we go is about three miles an hour. A Ferrari's made to go 250, 300 miles an hour. You're sitting over there until someone drives by you in a bigger car, in a more expensive car. And we, we're in life think, if, oh, if only I could marry that girl. Oh, if I marry that girl, I'd be so happy. If only I got that, uh, that job uh, promotion. If only I could get the corner office. If only I got the key to the executive bathroom. <laughs> oh, what life would be if I had the key to the executive bathroom. And our whole lives, all we do is set destinations, destinations, and destinations. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to break the bad news to you. Life is not a destination. Life is a journey. Every day is a blessing. We're not kids. We're not kids. Many of us have lived, many of us have great careers, many of us have accomplished a lot in life, and we know that life is fragile. We're human beings. Here today, gone tomorrow. And you hope and pray that your children will remember you, your grandchildren will remember you, something like that. We're very fragile. And what do we do? We spend our time on... Because we think, if only then, my retirement condo in Malibu or in Maui or somewhere, if I just got that, if only I can get that place, then I'll be happy. No, you won't. You'll be happy when you wake up in the morning and you affirm that you're happy. I'm a happy person. I'm a calm person. I'm a good father. I'm a good mother. I'm a good friend. I'm a good rabbi. If you believe that, and you say that, and you affirm that, and you educate yourself, use your mind to strengthen your cause. Use all of your abilities and your friends and neighbors to push you along. Lose weight, join a running club. You want to be smarter, join a chess club. You want to be stronger, take Krav Maga. You want to get more involved in Yiddishkeit, call your rabbi. And do little by little action every single day. It's a program, ladies and gentlemen, that has been proven millions and millions of times to work. Because we see people that have been able to accomplish the greatest things with the greatest disabilities. You see people in the Olympics that, for the first time, we saw people in the Olympics with disabilities, with no legs running. We see people that have been, been born and that had situations thrown at them that, who? wow. You think to yourself, how is it possible? But the spirit that beats in our heart and the, the potential that God has given every single one of us is unbelievably strong. And if you believe me, and if you do this, and you tell yourself that you are richer and kinder and wiser and more religious and more committed and more whatever you're going to be, and at the end of the day you accomplish that, ladies and gentlemen, I ask you one question. Is this not an endeavor worth fighting for? Thank you very much. Okay, that's all I know. I've given you all of my knowledge. I know nothing else. I'm not a smart guy. I'm not a Friedman or a Jacobson or a Shachat. Those are your scholars. They call me here because they need a balance. You know, you hear all those heavies, the Friedmans, the Shachats, Jacobsons. They're heavy. Not Jacobson. He is heavy, but not... I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking. You'll edit that, Kramer. You let it that. Now, yes, he's a good guy. He can take it. He can take it. But you know, so they call me here to balance out. I think of myself as a practical guy. My mother was a Holocaust survivor. Very practical woman. She's seen the worst of people. So I am, a, I am a miracle, really, because why should I have even been born? I mean, my mother came out of Auschwitz, Bergen, Belzin. I shouldn't have been born. So my mother raised me and my sister to be very practical.
Now, practical people, you know, you take life and you have to build a sense of humor because when you grow up in a house with Holocaust survivors, my father and my mother, if you came into my house, there was like a thick air of Holocaust hanging. I used to be six foot four. But because of this, this weight of the Holocaust, they ended up like this. You know? So we had to develop a sense of humor because otherwise, you know, it just was very, very, very heavy. And my mother was a practical woman. She didn't, you know, she read uh, whatever she read, she read and whatever she did, she did. But she always told us that, listen, you've got to survive. And to survive in this world, you have to have a sense of humor. And my mother miraculously, miraculously, coming out of Bergen-Belsen, had a sense of humor, taught us how to laugh, how to look at things and just be able to tell you, you know what, ladies and gentlemen, just let it roll off. Because ultimately, we're going to go out there, and I want to get too much into it, otherwise, (laughs) who's going to need me on Sunday? But ultimately, but ultimately, we only have one life. And nobody, nobody, uh here, come on, introduce yourself, Rabbi, come on in here, Paroi. See, Paroi is here. That's Rabbi Epstein. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Rabbi Epstein. Okay? He's not here right now. Guy is worse than Paroi. Okay? Paro let the Jews work on their hours. Didn't give them strawberry, let them work. This guy is constantly. Well, if you miss, you will come one minute late, the guy docks you, and he puts you on, what, what floor am I on? 23? Puts you on the 23rd floor. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. I can't say anything about him, his parents are here. So I don't want to do it. Okay? Nobody in this world is like you. Think about that. You have a unique footprint. Seven billion people on this earth. You know how much that is? Seven billion people. It's a lot of people. Tremendous amount of people and nobody is like you. You have a unique goal and a unique purpose and a destiny here. Nobody can do what you do. Nobody. The Lubavitcher Rebbe, I mean, we, you know, this whole weekend is dedicated to the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I mean, without the Lubavitcher Rebbe, I'm not here. My dear friend Rabbi Lisbon is not here. Those guys in the back with the beards, hopefully they'll never be here again. You know, <laughs> Rabbi Gurkhov wouldn't made it out of, green, out, of, out, of, uh, out of elementary school without the Rebbe. Rabbi Kramer sitting over here with a big smile on his face. We know his grandfather. He's sitting over here, the, the filmmaker here. The filmmaker. We know his grandfather, myself, Rabbi Lisbon, learned in Montreal, and we know Rabbi Kramer. It's all because of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And what did Lubavitcher Rebbe say? 10,000 hours. We know he spoke in his, in his lifetime. 10,000 hours. We have, they're putting out now a series of everything that the Rebbe said. And it's going to be, I don't know, over, well over 100 volumes. Well over 100 volumes. So don't encapsulate what the Rebbe said <laughs> in three minutes after Parry comes in here. You know, in three minutes, there's almost a possibility. Right? It's almost a possibility. I just want to leave you with one thought. Svi Freeman, great author, lives in Toronto, Canada, wrote a book called The 365 Meditations. And his introductions, he writes this. The Lubavitcher Rebbe did not become a great leader because he made us believe in him. The Lubavitcher Rebbe became a great leader because he made us, because he believed in us. The Rebbe took every one of us, and if you ever saw a video of the Rebbe at the dollars on Sunday, as people walked by, in those three, four, two seconds that you had this opportunity even standing in front of a man, I'm biased, I have to admit I am biased. I think there's no one like the Rebbe, there hasn't been someone like the Rebbe in a thousand years, but who am I to judge? But this is my own personal bias. And you stood in, in front of greatness, and the Rebbe looked at you with those eyes, And for two seconds, you and the Rebbe were all there was. And the Rebbe handed you the dollar, and he gave you a blessing, and you felt like a million dollars. And if you had the opportunity, which I did at one point, because I had this very serious problem, and you couldn't go in to see him anymore privately, he wasn't having personal, so I decided that, you know what, the only time I'm really going to be able to do it is at dollars, and it took me three weeks to just... You know, gained the courage because I had to. I wanted to ask the Rebbe for a special blessing. It was really a pressing issue in our in our institution. And I walked up there and 
I don't know how I got the words out. I, 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 I promise. And I leaned over to him and I said, Rebbe, I need this bracha for this and this situation. The Rebbe stopped and he looked at me and he told me what to do. And, and you just felt like you walked out of there with a million dollars, like a million dollars. He believed in us. He believed. You're going to see a bunch of Chabad rabbis. They believe they're rabbis. I know the truth. You know the truth. They're not rabbis. They're not rabbis. It's like the guy who thinks of himself as a captain. He buys a boat. Sammy Horowitz. He buys a boat. He gets himself dressed up in a captain's uniform. He calls his parents to come with him. He says, Ma, what do you think of your captain? So she says to him, Semale. Semale. To me, you're a captain. But to captains, you're no captain. Okay? We know the truth. We're simple people coming from simple families, but the Rebbe gave us an agenda. He gave us a vision, he gave us a goal. And whether we like it or we don't like it, whether we think about ourselves, we represent the Rebbe, and by extension, we all represent the Rebbe. And if the Rebbe was here today, he would say the same, very same thing. Not that I could do any justice to him, but he would say the very same thing, that each and every single one of us is imbued with the greatest gift of the Almighty, and that's a neshama and a soul. And that soul needs to be nurtured and watered and affirmed every single day. And if you do that, ladies and gentlemen, the Rebbe spoke about Seder Vahadraga. He talked about doing it in an orderly fashion. Don't try to make great leaps. Every once in a while, yes, make a great leap. Do make a great decision. But every single day, make progress. Every single day. If a Jew puts on film one time, think about this. This revolutionary idea of finding a Jew in the middle of nowhere's land. Ogden, Utah. Finding a Jew that's intermarried, married a non-Jewish woman, and somehow some Chabad young guy, 19 or 20 years old, out of Brooklyn, New York, tracks this guy down. And he thinks to himself, how? I ran to Ogden, Utah. Because the Rebbe sent me here. And I'm going to find you, the Rebbe says. You think you're running? I'm going to get you. And the guy puts on film one time, and then the bacher disappears, the student disappears. You know what the Rebbe says? That that is an everlasting act that could never be taken back. Because one mitzvah, ladies and gentlemen, one act, slowly but surely making progress every single day. And I will end with this story of the Rebbe Zayn. And I wish he was here to tell the story himself, because I know that all my Chabad colleagues feel the same way. I give my right arm. When people say that, they literally, and I mean it, I literally mean it, to have the Rebbe one more time to listen to one more for bringing, to be one time to get dollars from him, one more time to be able to sit in, the, in his presence and I know we live with him and he's here every single day, but we're, we're, we're materialistic people. We want to see the Rebbe in this, the way we saw him. And the Rebbe told this story at Afabrengen publicly. And <laughs> you heard Rabbi Jacob yesterday, the way he described the Rebbe. The Rebbe was not a man of fluff and he didn't tell stories because he just wanted to excite you. He told a story because he felt and he meant it. And he was serious and it meant a lot to him that he got this letter from a family in Manhattan where the mother and the daughter were walking down the street one day on a Friday and was approached by a young student. And the young student said to her, ma'am, do you light Shabbos candles? And she says, no, please, we're not that types of Jews, my, you know, please. And the little girl said to her, mom, please, I'm, he's giving it for free, what do you care, just take it. She was a little six-year-old girl. And she took those Shabbos candles and she came on Friday night, the mother threw it away, she didn't want the father to see it. She took that little candle and the daughter said to her, please, mommy, he gave us a candle for tonight, let's just light the candle, what do you? And the mother reluctantly lit the candle, the father came home, he flipped the lid. Father was a big attorney in New York. I mean, and he, he comes home and what does he see on the table? He ran away from this. His grandfather ran from this. His father ran away from this. And he now has his little girl lighting candles. So she tells him, don't get nervous. Don't sue her. Okay? <laughs> don't sue her. Okay? Because that's the first thing Jews do. Don't sue her. Don't pull her into court. Okay? She'll get over it. She'll get over it. Okay? The next week, guess what she does? Mommy, can we light candles again? Oh, no. She begs, please, please, mommy. It was so nice having last week. And guess what happened? She lights the candles a second week and a third week and a fourth week. And guess the mother says it's not nice. I mean, what am I teaching my daughter? So she begins to light candles. She begins to light candles. And the father comes home. He's still very adamant. He's not going to do it. So the mother and the daughter light the candles. And the father goes into the other room, watches TV. The mother says to him, Dan, what are you doing? We're lighting candles. You're watching TV. She has to turn off the TV while the candles are burning. Then he decides, you know what, it's not nice, so he joins them, and he sits there, and then he put, starts to make Kiddush, and he puts on a kippah, and he joins a shul. And they go to shul, and they start walking to shul. 
And they put the little girl into day school. And when the Rebbe got the letter, he said that this family from this one girl lighting Shabbos candle today turned into a completely traditional observant family. The Rebbe was so happy. Not because I did something. The Rebbe was so happy for two reasons. I think that number one, that there was a young student that was able to have an effect on this family and that he brought out the potential from these three Jewish people that one day this little girl is going to grow up and this little girl is going to have her own family and her daughters are going to light candles and for the next thousand generations, they're all going to light candles because somebody took the opportunity of handing them these candles. The Rebbe believed in us. Hashem believes in us. And now we have to believe in ourselves. Thank you very much.